I have a great privilege of sharing the word of the Lord this morning. We're in, a, in the book of 1 Peter, in chapter 2. We are jumping in. Um, exciting times. This is a this is this is a, this has actually been a challenge uh, for me. This has been one of those scriptures you you really like. Lord, can I do I have to preach that one? But I don't want to be one of those churches that skips scriptures. You know what I'm saying? I want to be those who who preach the whole word, the whole truth, right? And so therefore, in preaching the whole truth, I have the privilege of sharing with you this word this morning. You know, uh, once again, you know, 1 Peter is being written to churches scattered throughout the Roman province of Asia Minor, and uh, they were facing growing cultural and political hostility throughout uh, this area. Uh, It would lead... I mean, in, in reality, when you think of the Roman government and who was leading at that time, it would have been Nero, and, and Nero would soon ban Christianity from even being spoken or preached, and, and which would lead to a horrific genocide, a genocidal persecution that would last for centuries. And guess what? We're still standing. <laughs> We're still here. Amen? I mean, you know, it seems that when those who are persecuted, it seems that during the historical times of persecution, it's when the body of Christ grows the most. Isn't that amazing? So what are you afraid of? Come on, right? So really, there's, there's a couple of questions that, that are somewhat posed in this is, How should these Christians face their current opposition? And then also, how should these Christians face the future persecution that they're about to endure? First of all, I want to to state that when I look at our society and see the degradation of society, a lot of times we want to point the blame at the evil one. Right? We want to point fingers. We're always looking to blame someone. Adam liked to blame someone, didn't he? And so people are looking for opportunities to blame. But in, in, in my humble opinion, I believe the blame should be looked at as the body of Christ that has not fulfilled the great commission which God's called them to fulfill. I mean, when you look... Uh, I'm enjoying our Wednesday night study. I'm, I'm going to be um, continuing that study this Wednesday night. We're in the book of Acts. And to look at the book of Acts as uh, the ideal church, when you think of the book of Acts as the early church and how it was established. And, and if you was to look at the book of Acts as a mirror looking into it, would it reflect you? Would it reflect the values that was being established as the early church, would, would we be able to grasp a hold of the great commission which Jesus, as he was just about to ascend in the heavens, would declare to each one of us, all authority has been given to me in heaven and in earth, right? 
Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. And not stopping there, he continues on teaching them all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I will be with you until the end of the age. We've been given a mandate, and that mandate is is to be the people of God to a world that needs God. It's to be the light in the midst of darkness. It is to be the salt of the earth. It is to carry a message to the world of hope, of life, of love, and compassion of who Jesus is and letting them realize there is a choice in life. And that choice is a choice of life or death. And will we choose life or will we choose death? So here is... About went off on a tangent. So we have a responsibility as the body of Christ to a world that needs Jesus. And so here we are, we find this question, how do we face current oppositions? How do we face coming persecution? And I believe Peter lays that out for us in the very middle of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 11. It says, beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct, come on somebody, listen to this. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see. What, were they, what we want them to see? We want them to see. So y'all, y'all was doing so good, y'all had that up there and it just stopped. <laughs> So they may see your good works, which they observe, glorifying God in the day of visitation. The world needs to see you acting appropriately. That's a, that's a great amen. The, God needs to, the world needs to see you when you're at the tire store and, and they tell you that your, uh, that your insurance that you bought on the tire is no longer valid because you wore the tire out before you got there. They need to, the, the world needs to see you acting appropriately. The world needs to see when the, when the steak comes out and it's not to the temperature that you expect it to be. The world needs to see your attitude exemplifying that of Jesus Christ. Amen. Quit meddling, Pastor, and move on. So when I see these scriptures, he's urging us Understanding that this world is our passing through. This is not our eternal home. If this was all that we had, then what hope would we have? But this is a passing through. We are sojourners, exiles, if you will, in a land that is not our eternal home. So therefore, while we're walking through this land, while we're living out this life, make sure that we live it in such a way that others want to go to the place where we're going. 
Amen. That others want to experience the same thing that brings us joy in the midst of our trials. The same, th- the same love and compassion when others have demonstrated hate against us that we can stand with a compassion and love for them no matter what they say and no matter what they do. Amen. These instructions in reality are given to us of how we should live in society, how we should live at our workplaces, how we should live in our homes. And and if you will, they're like a a home code or a household code that we should live by. Paul gives very similar instructions in Ephesians. And some of you remember us talking about Ephesians for a little bit. Yeah. He gives us similar instructions in Colossians. and, And Paul uh, gives, has given mutual instructions to husbands and wives and fathers and children and, and slaves and masters or employee employees, ever how you want to look at that. Peter doesn't necessarily give the same directive to married couples, but he does give directives. Paul's focus, is, Paul's focus was believers, this is how you should operate amongst believers. Peter, on the other hand, is now showing us this is how you live amongst those who do not believe. How many of you know that the the body of Christ needs to know how to live amongst those who do not believe? Uh, Sadly is as we go around looking at the world, expecting them to live like Jesus wants us to live, and, and, and they don't, and we get offended. Hey, guess what? Sinful people do sinful things. Broken people do broken things. But people of God should do people of God things. Amen? Amen. That's all right. All right. All right. Peter also focused on, like I said, how we should operate with unbelievers, but especially those who are in authority. The the instructions kind of narrow as as he opens this up, and, and it gives us from the idea of the government to the workplace to the home and sadly, is we hear a lot about civil disobedience these days. It seems like that is the propaganda that floats around. If we don't like it, just disobey. If you don't like it, just stand and do this or that and cause disruption. But, but really, if you look at civil disobedience, is a forerunner of anarchy. And God gave order to the body. He gave order to the world. Amen? So we hear little about civil obedience. Mm -hmm. Now look, I, I get it. The Word of God gives us demonstrations and illustrations of civil disobedience. I mean, you can look at Exodus chapter 1 and 17 where Pharaoh told the midwives to abort the children before, I mean, when they were born to kill them, right? And we see them dis- civilly disobeying that order, saying, saying, well, Pharaoh, guess what? When, when these Hebrew women, they were strong women, before we even got there, they just, babies just popped out. Right? We see also uh, this mentality uh, of Civil disobedience through the three Hebrew boys, right? They would not bow down to the statue of Nebuchadnezzar. They was not going to do that. They also were willing to face the consequences of not doing that. 
They were willing to be thrown to the fire, uh, fiery furnace. And even to the point, it says, even if the Lord doesn't rescue us, we still will not bow down to this idol, right? We see Daniel uh, in Daniel chapter 6, I think it is, where Daniel uh, denied doing what the, what the King Darius told him to do, said, no, you can't pray, but, but you, we see him three times a day bowing down, praying before God. We see these examples of civil disobedience. Peter himself was involved in a little bit of that, right? I mean, look, in, in Acts chapter 5, he was told, uh, they, all the apostles were told not to go around preaching anymore in Jesus' name, right? But yet, this is what, this is what Peter said. How can we not share what we have seen and what we have heard? Right? Amen. Acts chapter 5, 29 says, We must obey God rather than man. All right. We need to move forward. <laughs> so the Bible records times when civil disobedience was deemed necessary. But let me help you understand something. The Bible never encourages or tells people to be civilly disobedient. One person said, if there is no final place for civil disobedience, then the government has been made autonomous, and as such, it has been put in the place of the living God. In other words, there's always going to be a place when, when those who rule us don't line up with what we think they should do. There's always going to be a moment where we could step into that role, but, but this, is, this is what we need to understand Civil obedience should be the default position of those who are of faith. Civil obedience should be those of Christian citizens should do their best to live at peace with all men as it pertains to you. Isn't that what the Word of God tells us? Amen? Amen. So we see this in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13. It says, therefore, submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether to the king uh, as supreme or the emperor supreme or to governors as to those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. For this is the will of God. Say, this is the will of God. This is the will of God. This is the will of God, that by doing good, you may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men as free, yet not using your liberty as a cloak for vice, but as, a serv but as servants of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Amen. All right, so we got to hurry. So in, in, in a nutshell, we see the principle, we see the purpose, and we see the practice of why we should be civilly obedient. Well, first of all, the principle, verse 13, be subject for the Lord's sake. Well, that, that's good, right? Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. This principle governs the whole section of 1 Peter. And so, 
we see in 1 Peter 2.18, instructs servants to be subject to the, to the masters. And, and 1 Peter 3.1, instructs wives to be subject to their husbands. John Brevere uh, wrote a, a wonderful book on authority. And he said, he called submission the incredible power of kingdom authority. You cannot be over things that God, uh, that God has given you unless you're willing to be under things God has put over you. Right? There's so much restlessness because people have a struggle coming under authority. We don't like this idea of subjection, submission. It's almost a four-letter word, isn't it? One of those bad ones we don't like to say. But yet, in the spirit of Christian submission, to be subject means to be, un- to be placed under. We talked about this uh, as far as in Ephesians and how that it was a military term and how there was order placed in the body and that we should be in the order that God placed us. And it's nothing, it doesn't mean anything about being of less value. It doesn't mean that you're less smart or anything like that. It doesn't call you any names of such. It just means that God has placed an order in the body. He's placed an order in the earth and God expects us to follow the order. Amen. Amen. So, Chuck Swindoll, how many like Chuck Swindoll? He's a pretty good feller. Chuck Swindoll says, our problem is not understanding what submission means. Our problem, <laughs> our problem is doing what it says. Oh, me. <laughs> I mean... It's a biblical word, and God commands us to submit. The grammar indicates willing subjection, not coerced submission. We willingly submit ourselves to the authority that God's placed over us. Submission, uh, when we look at submission, it's not an absolute. It is not for for the person's sake. We see this in verse 13, for the Lord's sake. This is a theological basis for submission to civil authorities. God says, for his sake, do this. Think about Romans chapter 13. From God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, Whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. Look, anyone can avoid following, uh, anyone can avoid messing up for the sake of not wanting to be punished, right? But yet, Christians obey the law because it is what God has told us to do. Amen. I know, I need to move on. I mean, think about this. We submit to the, to the Lord's instructions. In Matthew chapter 22, 21 says, Therefore, render to Caesar what is Caesar's, and render to, to God what is God's. So guess what we do? We fork out whatever the government says for our taxes, and we find every loophole that the government allows us to find. Rick, I, that was for you, buddy. Rick's our resident tax man. I mean, why? I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be illegal. I'm just saying, hey, we, we do what the government tells us to do. <laughs> so <laughs> we also submit 
to follow the Lord's example. I mean, when you think about Jesus, now, I'm not talking about Old Testament characters. I'm not talking about intertestamental characters like the Maccabees who, uh, if you read the intertestamental period and the historical books, you see where the Maccabees fought against the Roman Empire and how they, uh, they made war through that time. But when you look at Jesus, I, 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 don't, I don't see him at any given moment organizing, leading, or participating in political things. I don't see him uh, leading or, or participating in rallies or marches or protests or sit-ins. There's only really two times that Jesus mentions the political system, and one of those is what I just read, give unto Caesar what is Caesar, give unto God what is God's. But John 18, 36 says, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that, that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. So the scope of the Christian submission is to every human institution. We see this through this verse that says, to the emperor supreme. Literally the, the king. I mean, it's understood that he's talking about the Roman, uh, Roman ruler and, and and Peter calls the emperor supreme. Think about this. This is the most powerful man on the earth. This is not like uh, just a local president of a country like the United States. This is, at this moment, this is a conqueror who had conquered most of the known world. This was an emperor supreme in his power and his authority. He could say what he wanted to say, and, and, and the people would have to follow that rule. Wow. I mean, we have a president that we vote for and he serves for four years. We have legal ramifications if they do something illegal to try to remove them from that uh, position. But ultimately, even in our constitutional law, we're to follow the leadership of whoever that president is, whether it's one party or another, or a third party or a fifth party, whatever that looks like. We're, we're called to follow the rules that have been laid out before us in our democracy, Right? All right, so, but here's the dilemma of politics. The best person for the office may not be, may not be God's choice for the time. But we choose those things. And yet Peter instructs the saints to be subject to the emperor supreme. Who was the emperor? I just mentioned this. This is Nero. This is the one who burnt down you know, Rome and then blamed the Christians uh, for burning it down and then threw them into arenas and allowed them to be killed utterly uh, horrific deaths. And yet here he is. Obey them. The scope is also not just national leaders, but local leaders. It goes on in verse 14, talks about governors, these local magistrates. I mean, when you think of the local magistrates, I mean, most of these people, when they found themselves in trouble, didn't go straight to the emperor. They went before a governor. Think of Jesus went before the local governor, Pilate. Think of uh, Paul when he stood before the governor, Felix, and Festus, and, and a citizen of Rome, would, in, would not probably encounter the, the, the emperor, but they would go before governors. Peter is saying that we are to submit to national and local leaders. We are to submit to Supreme Court rulings. We're to submit to local driving uh, rules. Remember how hard that is. 
It doesn't say that we have to agree with the government all the time, does it? It doesn't say that we have to like the policies that govern us. It doesn't say that we have to like the person that holds the office that's above us. It doesn't say those things. But it does tell us that we must submit. Now, when we look at the purpose of government, we see this to punish those to do evil and to praise those who do good. In other words, government exists to administrate justice. Now, I think we have to realize that not every government reaches this ideal place. Not every government operates in complete holiness and righteousness of God. In other words, not every system is run by God himself, but he gives authority to people and lets them run, and therefore human fallibility messes up human institutions. But the goal that government lays out is to foster a society, a just society, is to to foster a, a moral society. However, when the people become immoral and they choose immoral leaders, the more immoral that society will become. Okay, I gotta go through this quickly. <laughs> so, what's the purpose? Well, the purpose is to, it's God's will. It's God's will. How many know it's God's will for us to be saved? Right? I mean, we can look at uh, 2 Peter 3 9, says, uh, the Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but he is patient towards you, but wishing that. Uh, not wishing that any would perish, but would all should come to repentance. The Lord's will is for us to walk in sanctification, to be sanctified, to be purified, to be set aside, to be consecrated for his purpose. We see this in 1 Thessalonians 4 and 3. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality. But we also see that it's God's will for us to submit ourselves to the governing authorities. In 1 Peter 2 and 15, as we just read, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. I mean, you, you got to realize that in verse 12, he's talking about how the society was calling us the evil people. That society was calling the Christians the evildoers. Isn't it very similar to today how what good has become bad, bad's become good, and now that Christians are once again in a spotlight being called evildoers, hate mongers, uh, all these names that we're being called because we stand against the immorality of the world, so therefore we hate everybody. That's, that's what the world wants to say about us. But what we see is that even in those times where they were being accused of all these uh, ideas, atheism and cannibalism and incest and all these things, these wild accusations, the ignorance of foolish men, that phrase suggests a lack of morals. I want you to understand that it, it doesn't give a sense of lack of intelligence. 
It wasn't that they were a lack, had a lack of intelligence. There's some people sitting in government, uh, government institutions who are super smart, but they don't have morals. Right? And, and so immoral people slander what they do not comprehend. So they're slandering us because they don't understand why would we abstain from something that makes us feel good. Right? Why would we, why would we not want our, our heart's desire to do whatever passion leads us to do? Whether who cares what anybody says because I just want to do what I want to do. It just makes me feel good. So immoral people slander what they can't comprehend. They don't, when, when we want to portray uh, material in school systems that, that teaches abstinence because we believe that God's called us to be a, a people of one wife, right? One husband, right? And so therefore we believe in abstinence before marriage. So we save ourselves for the person that, that we love that God has uh, specifically given to us. That's foreign ideas to a world that wants to fulfill every lust that they have. And guess what they're going to do? They're going to come against it very harsh and hard. They're going to make up every excuse that they just don't love me. They don't love me because they don't want me to have my way. They don't love me because they don't want me to feel good. They don't love me because they, they hate me because I have a different mindset than them. No, no, no. That's not what we do. So the idea is that we live apologetically. We live in a manner that shows humility and compassion and love. And when we've been slandered, we're, we're, we live in such a way that we walk blamelessly before others. And though they say stuff, it doesn't line up to what they say. But, and then they look at us and say, well, did he really do that or did he not? Right? We have, we live in such a way that we give influence. We are influencers. Yes. You know, today, uh, TikTok and well, all those other things. People have thousands of influencers, and this influencer did this. But guess what? The greatest influence is when you and I touch the people we come in contact with every single day. When we, when we stand at the, at the gas station and we're talking to the attendant and there's just a word that we want to share to, to give them a, a love and a compassion that day, to give, put a smile on our face, we are the greatest influence in the world because when numerically we stand together as the people of God, we influence all of society and the enemy knows if he can get us divided, if he can tear us down, if he can get us to, to keep on struggling inside ourselves, then we will not influence anybody because Everybody will say, well, what's wrong with those people? So it says, we put to silence slanderer by doing good. Look, that word put to silence literally means to muzzle. To muzzle. I mean, look, there's foolish men who yap against Christianity like ravaged dogs. They stand in, uh, they stand in universities. They stand, I mean, I was talking to Wesley, he, and he goes to the University of, y'all forgive him, okay? He goes to the University of Alabama, but it's in Huntsville, that, that one, all right? University of Alabama in Huntsville. 
not that other one. But he, he, I asked him, I said, how, how, how are you engaged in this? I mean, do you have, uh, do you have them attacking your faith? And he says, in my area, no. He said, but across the, across the street where the humanities are, he said, they all, they've all gone crazy over there. He said, they're walking around in Furby you know, outfits. And, you know, I'm thinking, no, wait, 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 wait. These aren't 12-year-olds dressing up in their Halloween costumes. These are college kids, supposedly intellectuals, who've lost their ever-loving mind. But do we go over and we bash them? Do we, do we go over and hate them? Do we go over and bless them out because they're walking in ignorance? These are intelligent people who have no moral standard. These are intelligent people who've lost their moral compass. They no longer have the guide to lead them. And when we lose the guide to lead us, why would we expect them to act any different? But how do we show them? How do we demonstrate to them that there's a better way? We live it in front of them. When they spit on us, we don't retaliate. Whoa, whoa, wait a minute, Pastor. I don't see that happening. Did Jesus retaliate when they plucked his beard out? Did Jesus retaliate when they was driving the spikes in his hands and his feet? What did Jesus tell Peter when, when, when Peter was ready to wage war? They said, well, wait a minute, Peter. This is my purpose. It's my purpose. We have to live in such a way that it puts to silence the words that are spoken against us. How do we live that? Do, are we living that way? Are we living in such a way that, that people can see the love of God in us? Are we living in such a way that, that when we walk in this world, no matter who we come in contact with, that we're able to love them because as I said Wednesday night our goal as Jesus when he walked out into the streets of Jerusalem and he saw the crowds he didn't get belligerent at how they were acting he didn't condemn them for the ways they were living but he wept for their soul how many recognize that even the people who don't act like us, who don't dress like us, who don't talk like us, who don't have the same ideologies that we have, are still people that God created. And as God's creation, every one of them have value in the kingdom. And as valuable people to the kingdom of God, Jesus died on the cross for every one of them. And don't forget that at some point you too were one of those living in sin, 
Well, I didn't do that. Well, sin is sin. Sin is sin. And we once were one of those. And somebody somehow showed us enough love and shared with us a message that transformed our lives. How will we transform the lives of others? Let me tell you this. You're not going to win the king by calling him names. You're not going to win somebody by calling them names. You're not going to win somebody by, by bellig- being belligerent towards them. You know where the first war is won? On our knees. That's why the word informs us to pray for those who are over you. Right? Pray for the... Pray for those who despitefully use you. Because this is the place where, where did Jesus go before he went to, to the cross? To Gethsemane in prayer. Can you not tarry with me one hour? Because if we're not willing to do this for the leaders, then our activism won't mean anything. It has to start here. It has to start with people who are seeking the face of God, who are joining together in prayer, believing for people's hearts to be changed. How many understand that the Lord, that the Lord's able to change the hearts of leaders? He changed your heart, didn't he? Amen. I know this is a hard passage for me to share, and it's a hard passage for us to grasp. Because I don't like what's going on in our society. I don't like the cultural war that's taking place in our society. I don't like it. I don't like things being taught to kids that are inappropriate. We still have a civil responsibility. But how we operate in that is, is are we doing it in such a way that Christ can be glorified? Amen. Are we doing it in such a way that we value every person we communicate with? Or we do it in such a way that it will win those to Christ who are culturally against what we believe. We have to be careful to not let our freedom be a license to sin. We have to be careful. I mean, isn't that what Galatians chapter 5 1 says? For freedom, for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. We have to be careful not to let our spiritual freedoms lead us back into sin and hatred and bitterness. Look, is, is, it, is it easy not to get aggravated and frustrated and hurt and broken because of the brokenness of the world? Does it, does it make you angry to see the things that are happening? Yes. Be careful how much news you're just feeding yourself. Be careful how much of that you're digesting because the world wants us to be in an uproar. The world wants us to be at war with each other. The world wants us to, to, to have this animosity so that they can prove, yes, those Christians, that they hate everybody. But what if we respond in a way that looks like Jesus? What if we do and operate as Jesus operated? How many people will we win? How many lives will we change? I'm closing. I, I remember just getting saved. If you want somebody wants to play, I remember when I I hadn't been saved long. 
it's one of those moments where I just completely radically dedicated my life to Jesus. God just radically changed my life. Before that moment, I was an angry, broken young man. I, I really, I, so much anger. But I was, I was out back in the day. Y'all, y'all, don't, y'all might not know what I was about. Back in the day, we used to cruise around, right? Y'all, every, and every little town had their own cruising area, right? We'd, yeah, we'd drop the car down, and we'd put the bass on, boom, boom, couldn't hear nothing, the tag was rattling, you know, I'm like, what in the world? We love to cruise. I still like to cruise. Midlife crisis. But I remember being saved, and, you know, I went out with a group of Christian friends, and we were... We were at the cruising spot, and these guys come by, and they were, they were being brash and rude and, and hateful. And, you know, here I am. I'm, I'm, I'm new, dude. I'm trying my best. Lord, <laughs> help me. That guy got out of the car and, and just was really rude to one of the young ladies there, and all of my manhood wanted to stand up and just knock his light slap out. But something checked me in my spirit. Don't do it. And I stood there. I mean, I was one of those, when I get angry, I shake. You know, anybody like that? I get angry, I start shaking, little tears form up because I was going to, mm. And I was shaking. The guy was jumping at me. I'm like, mm. And then he just hocked one big loogie right in my face. I said, God, (laughs) this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I faced molestations. I faced all kinds of hard things. But that right there was the hardest thing I ever faced. I wiped it off, turned around. In thinking that my friends would probably look at me in shame and, well, why didn't you stand up? Each one of them come over and gave me a hug and said, man, you did the right thing. You know, this was, this was this moment. I, I had just started a new high school. I was the newbie in the high school. I wasn't a senior. I went to three different high schools. This, this high school was the most impoverished school in the whole county, it was it was a very low level school. It was a vocational school. It wasn't highly academic. That's why I did okay. <laughs> that year, that year, gave me the privilege of getting to know that guy who spit in my face. By the end of the year, I got to lead him to the Lord. By the end of the year, this new kid who was just a junior won the mister of his school. This guy. And what because I was raging and mean or mad is because God gave me a passion for people. And I loved everybody as much as I could. Listen, 
it's hard for us. If anybody tells you being a Christian is easy, don't sell out to the rat poison. Because it's not true. Living this Christian life is going to be the hardest thing you'll ever do. Living this life in your school, living this life in your workplace, living this life in a world that is becoming more and more culturally against Christianity is going to be difficult. But our response should always be in the light and love of Jesus Christ. Our our goal in every circumstance is reconciliation. Our goal in every... You need to hear that. Our goal in every circumstance is reconciliation. Our first option is peace. Now, don't get me confused. If the government tells me that I've got to worship a statue, I'm not going to do it. Right? If the, wor- if the world tells me to do something that's against the Word of God, then I'm not going to do it. But I'm also going to be willing to face the consequences for what I don't do. As Jesus faced consequences, as Daniel faced consequences, as the three Hebrew boys faced consequences. But be careful to get, don't get caught up in the world system. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers. Be careful not to let our armament be the armament of the world. That the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but made mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. That first, that first option of praying first is what will break break the enemy's back. Amen. Y'all love me this morning? I know this is a hard scripture. It's hard. But God's word is God's word. Amen. Amen. I want us to pray for our government. I want us to pray for President Biden. I want us to pray for our Vice President Harris. I want us to pray for our Supreme Court. I want us to pray for our Congress and with the, the House and the Senate. I want us to pray for our local government. Look, we, they are under such a bombardment of the world. P- people have called President Biden a puppet president. I don't know if that's the case or what. But I will tell you, he is under some heavy influence to do the things that he does. And we need to pray. I mean, this is a man who was raised in Catholicism. And now, uh, if, if they follow the true tenets of Catholicism, that, then the things that this world is pushing him to do are against even his faith. So we need to pray that he knows Jesus Christ and that his heart is changed. How many know that God wants him to be saved too? How many know that the Lord wants Biden to be in heaven? That's going to be hard for you to raise your hand, but guess what? Yes, he does. He does. Every one of those officials, God wants for them to be saved too. Let's believe for them. Amen. Can we pray? Father, Lord, I thank you for your word. 
And Lord, as a citizen of this particular country, I pray that we will do our citizen things, that we'll vote. I pray that we will follow truth, your word, that we will be willing to share truth, that we'll be a voice as Isaiah was and as John the Baptist, a voice crying out into the wilderness, prepare you the way of the Lord, that we'll help people see truth and life and love, that we'll help them to, to know that there's a way that will bring life and there's a way that brings death. There's a way that brings peace and there's a way that brings hardship. But Lord, in everything we do, your word says to do all to the glory of God in everything we do. Help us to do it in the way and manner that you would do it. Help us to follow your word. Help us to follow your example. Help us to see lives transformed. I pray for our president. I pray for our vice president. I pray for Congress, the senators, and the congressmen. I pray, Lord, for our local leaders, our mayors, our governors, our, our, our county boards. I pray, Lord, that God, you would open their eyes to truth. And Lord, I pray that, that we as the body will encourage men and women of God to to run for roles in government places so that, so that we can have representation for morality. I pray, Jesus, for librarians and principals and schools and teachers who are having to face the pressures of, of this society to teach things that they themselves may not want to teach. God, I pray that you will give them wisdom and courage and boldness to stand for truth even if it means consequences are faced. God, I pray, Lord, that you'll bring salvation, Lord, to our nation. Lord, I pray for a, 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 another renewed revival to spring forth from our young people, for our children throughout this nation. Let this be an awakening to follow truth, an awakening to to begin to pray and fast and seek the face of God. For your word declares, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face. God, these are things that you told us to do. And if we will follow that plan, you will hear from heaven. You will cleanse our lands. You will heal our lands, God. Lord, let us fulfill your truth let us pray together let us fast together let us believe together let us see one person at a time being transformed by the power of God Lord let your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven in Jesus name we pray amen amen God bless you guys I thank you guys Amen. Give God glory. His word is true, alive and well. Amen. Remember Wednesday nights, we're going through the book of Acts. Um, I'm going to be teaching, um, continuing the series. I will have some who will step in when I'm unable to. And, um, and so if you guys would love to have you guys out here, it's going to be a great, great journey through the book of Acts. This past week was Acts 1. Next week, is, this coming week is Acts 2. 
Let's have a good time. God bless you guys. Walk in the favor.